Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment, you're nailing it, and the next, you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and on this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we are going to be demystifying ADHD. Whether you have it yourself and it complicates your life as a parent, or if you're noticing um, some of that coming up for your kids, we're going to dig into it and figure out how to make things a little bit easier in your life. And to help me with this conversation, I'm bringing in a friend and colleague and an ADHD expert, Patricia Sung. Patricia, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Thank you. I'm so excited. Okay. I am formerly a middle school teacher and all paths led down this um, crazy path where everything came together. And now I've taken my background with teaching and having ADHD myself and put it all together. And now I teach moms how to live well with their ADHD. Um, and that comes from just from myself. When I had my kids, I couldn't find much like any kind of resources on how, like, like I was struggling so much and I couldn't find anything to help me. And it was a clear moment of like, if not you, then who? And so now I have a podcast called motherhood and ADHD. And it's been almost three years now that's been going, which is crazy to think three years. Wow. And um, I teach classes on, you know, just how to get your crap together for moms, like understanding how we can make daily routines that make sense for us that are mom friendly, but also ADHD friendly. And just putting together those pieces to understand who you are and how your brain works and how do you make a life that works for you, given that your brain is different. And uh, there's a good chance that also one or more of your kids also has a brain that's different. And how do you make that work for your family? Can we talk a little bit about that then? Like what is different about a brain with ADHD and how does it impact your daily life? So it's interesting because, I mean, obviously we can't look inside brains um, (laughs) So, you know, a lot of it is a little bit mysterious in that, you know, if they started poking around your brain, you'd be dead. So they don't do that. Of course. A lot of what we do, you know, what we're looking at is theory and, you know, quality scientific research and we're making our best guesses. But in the simple version is that it's a neurological medical condition and our brain's connect in a different way. So structurally, our brain is different than other people, but more importantly is how it affects your life. So when you're looking at your overall life, 
ADHD affects every part of your day, of your life, of your relationships, your work, your parenting, every single part of your life is affected by ADHD. So there's no safe haven or, you know, timeout area where it doesn't affect how you function and how you interact with people. And you can see that in a lot of different ways. Practically speaking, there's the obvious stuff that we always hear about where, you know, some people are more hyperactive and you see their energy in a physical manifestation. You see them moving. You see that five-year-old kid who's jumping off things and can't sit still and is running around, but that's only a sliver of what it is. There's also hyperactivity in your mind where your brain always is going. Your thoughts are always moving. A lot of the times that looks like anxiety or obsessive compulsive thoughts and intrusive thoughts that come in where your brain just never stops moving. It's always going and it feels very loud in your head. Um, You can see that in the lack of planning skills and a lack of organization and having trouble prioritizing. Can I just jump in? Like, why is that hard for folks with ADHD to organize, to plan? Yeah. Our executive function is not so great. And that is like the conductor of the orchestra for your brain. So while you might really have a fabulous woodwind section, or maybe your drums are just on point, when you put them all together, they don't sync up well, and they have trouble coordinating with each other. So while you might be really good at keeping things organized, like in this small box, when you look at it in the bigger picture, you struggle with doing the multiple things at the same time. So like if you're working on, so you're cooking dinner and then your kids interrupt you with some kind of question and then you forget the dinner and you go help them with their homework and all of a sudden dinner's burning. It's like your conductor couldn't do all the things at the same time. Mm-hmm. So dinner got forgotten because you're attention shifted to homework problems or someone fighting or, Hey, quit jumping off that thing. And your brain just doesn't do all the things at the same time. Well, so we're not good multitaskers, if Mm -hmm. you will. And that's really hard as a parent, because that is parenting. Parenting is always (laughs) multitasking. The whole concept of multitasking is a lie. It's your brain shifting from task to task. Your brain actually can't do that many, like they can't do multiple things at one time, but some people are much better at shifting back and forth and being like, dinner's still okay. Kids reading, dinner's still okay. Kids reading. And for people with ADHD, it's like once we switched away from dinner's okay, we head down the path Mm -hmm. of homework and we never remember to circle back to the dinner is okay. (laughs) So our brain functions differently. And that's a really good thing for a lot of stuff, but it's a huge struggle in other ways. And usually that's the part that we see when we have it is all the struggles and how it is making our life really difficult and how it's hurting the people around us. And a lot of times we don't feel like there's much strength to it. It really just feels like a detriment and, and a really big struggle to overcome. So, so a, a lot of adults, especially women who are underdiagnosed when it comes to ADHD as children, they're much less, girls are much less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD to have it recognized. And we're very good at passing in that way. I think that that's getting better, but it's not there yet. And so for lots of us who are adults and we start hearing someone like you start talking about symptoms or ways to know that you might have ADHD, it can be like, 
yes. Okay. So this is explaining a lot. This is explaining why things are so hard for me, why things that seem easy for other people are not easy for me. Maybe nothing is wrong with me. Maybe I just have a difference in how my brain works. And so if for those parents who are kind of waking up to like, oh, wow, this is something that's been there my whole life. And now I'm just recognizing it. What is the next step for them and making their life a little bit easier? So I always recommend first that you um, talk to a professional who understands ADHD um, and look at getting a diagnosis. And a lot of people will say like, oh, I don't really need a diagnosis because fill in the blank, whatever reason is. But I always recommend that first because ADHD comes with so many, um, I like to call them friends, (laughs) friends, things like anxiety and depression. And a lot of times women will be diagnosed with those or chronic fatigue or bipolar. Like the list goes on and we, we get all these other mental health diagnoses because those are the things that are screaming and needing attention. But the root of them, that's the ADHD. If you're dealing with your ADHD, then you're able to so much better deal with all the other things. So the first place to start is to find someone who truly understands adult ADHD, which is, I I understand sometimes it feels like looking for a unicorn, but finding somebody who can truly tell you like, is this what you're dealing with? And also what other things are you dealing with? Because it becomes this like tangled necklaces, not don't deal with all the whole picture and you're just trying to fix one necklace. It's like, well, but now you're tangling the seven other necklaces that are in the ball with it. So you you can't really deal with just one. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just deal with the anxiety and just, okay, well, I'm just going to take this anxiety medicine and that that's going to solve my problem. Well, no, you have anxiety because you're so stressed about forgetting something or your mind is always going, well, if you deal with the root, then you can you know, yeah. And then like domino out. So that's the first step is seeing someone who can help you and figure out what else you're dealing with. Cause it's rarely ever just ADHD. So how do you go about finding someone like that? I think that this is one of the biggest struggles when you're recognizing you need help finding the person who's right for you. How do you go about finding someone, a, a therapist who is well-versed in adult ADHD? Like what do you even look for? Well, first, if you can find a referral, that's really the best place to start is to find someone else with ADHD who says, yes, I like my doctor. Okay. Um, But if you are like, if you're not comfortable asking around or you don't feel, it's funny because people are like, well, I don't know anyone else who's dealing with this. And I'm like, well, there's like almost 10% of the population that does. So chances are you do. They just (laughs) haven't said anything either. Is that if you're not comfortable speaking up or sharing yet, because it's still like super scary and you're not sure, like, do I even want to admit this out loud? Is that you can, you know, contact your insurance provider and then like start with that name and just call the offices and ask like, do you deal with adult ADHD? If they don't, like next, new person, because mm-hmm. it really is something that's not really taught in medical school. It's not really taught in like the basic of like anyone who's helping people in mental health. It's just not an in-depth subject on anyone's study. So unless that person had a reason to dive into it, or they've worked in their practice for many years, they got like one page in a textbook in one class in school, and that's it. It's not the medical professional's fault that they don't have that experience because, you know, if they weren't taught in school, they weren't taught in school. But that doesn't mean that you should suffer with 
subpar care because like one of the things that I always say is like, you don't go see the podiatrist for, you know, a heart issue and you don't ask your dentist to look at your ankle. Like you want to see the professional that truly understands and is experienced with that area and they do exist. It's just a matter of finding them. Yeah. One thing that I don't know about you, but I found helpful is for those therapists that if you're looking on like their, their psychology today profile, Mm -hmm. there are some therapists who list just a few specialties. You can tell that they're really specialized. Whereas there's other ones who are casting a wide net, you know, with their tags and their interests and their focuses. And they have, they list everything. And you don't want one of the people who lists everything, right? You want a true specialist. So if they've got ADHD and anxiety on their profile and nothing else, like that's what they specialize in, that probably is a good person to give a call, you know, versus someone who's got, you know, all every mental health disorder that you can have listed on their page. So specificity is a good place to start too. And like I said, like, if you're not sure, if you can't, like, if it's not obvious on their website, if you just call and say, like, literally ask one question, like, do you have experience in this? Yes or no? And move along. Like I know people with ADHD, we hate making phone calls, but finding the right person because you will save yourself like hours of heartache, all the money that you're spending. Like you are paying this person for their expertise. And if they don't have expertise, don't pay them. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Pick someone who truly understands you. And even if you find someone who's an ADHD specialist and you're like, oh, I just don't gel with this person. It's okay. Like, bye. I find another one. It's all right. Like, you don't have to love every person. You don't have to love the first person that you meet. Yeah. And like from a therapist perspective too, like the good therapists will not take that personally. You will not hurt our feelings. We all know that the research on the therapeutic alliance, the relationship between therapist and and client is the most important factor in change and outcomes and good outcomes. And so if a, a therapist is worth, you know, their stuff, a good therapist will be like, oh, it's not driving for you. Is it something that I can fix? Or is it something where you need you need help finding someone else who does jive with you? Like that's what a good therapist will respond to you. If they take it personally, if they, you know, if they get defensive, like you're better off moving along. Okay. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about grownups with ADHD, but often, as you said before, you know, if we, if we ourselves have some, you know, neural differences, our brain works a little bit differently, you know, we sometimes pass that along to our kids. Can we talk a little bit about like, I feel like it can be obvious on some levels, we have these kind of obvious markers for ADHD that we think are, is ADHD in kids. And I sometimes think that like, Sometimes we see very typical, like five-year-old behavior. Five-year-olds can't sit still in kindergarten. And like, that's not necessarily ADHD because the five-year-old's not supposed to sit still. The kindergarten is the problem, not the kid. Because they we shouldn't expect five-year-olds to sit in desks at all. It's just not developmentally appropriate. So I think it's important to look at the context. Is the context developmentally appropriate? Do we have developmentally appropriate expectations? But what are some of the things that, you know, you know when that should start pinging the, our, a parent's ADHD alarm bells in their brains? The obvious things are obvious. The parts that get construed into something else are the ones that you really want to be looking for. And I, the best like umbrella term would be emotional dysregulation. And that's when your emotions are not regulated. So your emotions are all over the place. When you, either yourself or your kid, you watch them go from like zero to 60 over what to you feels like nothing. 
Mm-hmm. This seems really silly. Why are you even upset about this? Why are you being so dramatic? Why are you upset? Like if those words are coming out of your mouth, <laughs> like red yeah. flag right there. But and to, just to be super clear, that there's a difference between this with older kids and younger kids. So two year olds, three year olds, they do lose it over really small things. We're talking about older children here. And so, I mean, the, the diagnosis like age for ADHD is seven, really. We shouldn't, you know, so younger kids will, you know, lose it over small stuff. Right. right? That's a hard part for parents because like, you don't have anyone to compare to. Yeah. Besides your kid. Like, unless like for me, like I'm a teacher, I've, I've worked with lots of kids. So for me, it's a little bit easier to pick out what makes sense and what doesn't, mm-hmm. but it's hard as a parent when you haven't worked with a lot of kids to know, like, is this a thing that kids do? Or is this a red flag? Yeah. So you always want to look at that, yeah, that age range of like, does this make sense for a three-year-old? Yeah, three-year-olds get mad about all kinds of stuff. It's like, well, you know, my spaghetti's too wiggly. I'll never be able to like look inside my stomach. Like, yes, no, honey, but you will never be able to see inside your stomach. I know it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but like when you start getting, like you said, usually... You can diagnose ADHD a little bit younger than that, but it's harder because again, the red flags are developmentally appropriate when you're three or four, but when you get to be, you know, seven and eight and your child is losing it over something that seems silly to you, Mm -hmm. that's a red flag where they don't have the brake system Mm -hmm. to slow down the emotions and do what we would consider like having like a thoughtful process about it. They don't have that skill. They're learning that skill. But when you're seeing kids who are like seven and eight and even like into teenage years where that skill should have come online. Yeah. And their brain just like zooms in on like every input that they're taking in, the reaction comes out faster than they're able to consider it, to think about it. Like the rude words just fall out of their mouths. The yelling just seems to like appear out of nowhere. That's one of the biggest red flags to me when we look at that, like when we get into like elementary and teenagers is that emotional dysregulation where they literally do not have the ability to slow down those feelings. And as hard as it is to parent that and to deal with it as the grown up, like flip side, imagine being the person who mm-hmm. control the feelings and like sees the train flying down the hill with no brakes and knows there's going to be a big crash at the end and yet not being able to stop it. Mm-hmm. It is gut wrenching. And I mean, even now, like, I mean, I'm almost 40 and there are times where I'm like, Oh, that, this is not going well. Like I can see myself losing it. Now I'm aware enough that, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Like I see myself falling apart and I want to stop it, but yet somehow my brain can't. And it's like the angry words are flying out. Like the grown-up tantrum. (laughs) Really, it's actually a grown-up meltdown. Like we talked about that on when you were on my podcast of Mm -hmm. like the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. It's like when you're losing it and you can't stop it, like that's a really hard feeling to be out of control and where you'll then see that go is that when 
our teens or kids or even ourselves, when we start to fly off the handle and we don't know why, and we're not sure what's happening, then we start making up crazy excuses Mm. And mm-hmm. because we're trying to like explain away, like, well, I don't know why I just said that or did that. So I'm just going to make something up because I don't know what the answer <clears throat> is. Cause you know, this is always what happens. Like when your kid makes a bad decision, you're like, what were you thinking? I know. Or this is why I think the question why is the least helpful question parents can ask their kids. Kids generate the response that they think we want to hear or the explanation. And they often don't know why it, rarely gives us actual helpful information. Like, why did that make you so upset? Why did you say that to your sister? Right. Like the level of comprehension that it takes for you to like stop and think and be like, why did I just yell angry words at that person who cut me off while I was driving? We don't think about that stuff. Like it takes a lot of emotional maturity to say like, oh, well, I was really upset because, well, like that's a whole train of thought that like most humans don't have, let alone when you're asking like a 10 year old, what were you thinking when you did that? They're like, oh, I don't know. So then they just make up something. And so you'll see that pattern of like, it comes across as lying. Or excuses or manipulation. Like all this other stuff. It's like, well, but also as a grown up, like we just asked their kid to do something that they were not capable of doing. What did we expect was going to be the answer? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think like your big take home message is recognizing that a lot of the problem behaviors that we see, big angry outbursts, rude backtalk, lying, manipulation, disrespectful language are the big things that parents really get kind of worked up about. That if we're experiencing those a lot and it seems like our kids can't control it, they, they just fly off the handle or it just happens, the things that we need, this should be raising a red flag for us. I think the biggest part is just understanding how our kids work. And when we understand how an ADHD brain functions, whether that's our brain or their brain, that level of knowledge is so life-giving. It's, there's so much freedom in understanding that we don't have to take it personally. Our kids are not purposefully trying to make us angry. They're not digging at us. They're not trying to cause trouble. They're not lazy. Right. They're not lazy. They're not, I would say like, I'm going to totally go off on tangent here. Like that's one of the things that kills me about, like when I hear parents talking about their kid, like being lazy or not trying, it's like, well, you know what? Your kid's really struggling right now. And it's a lot easier for them to opt out and say, you know what? I'm not good at this. So if I just don't try, I can protect myself because Mm -hmm. nobody can criticize me if I don't participate in the same way that like, if I do it and I mess up, then I feel bad about myself. I feel failure. I feel shame. But if I just opt out and I just don't do it, mm-hmm. then I'm getting yelled at for things that it's not my failure. Now I can just be like, well, I didn't try. So what of? as opposed to like, I tried and I messed up and now I've, I'm feeling like the failure plus the shame plus, 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 like all the emotions that go with that is instead of just like, well, I'm just going to opt out. And then I can turtle up and not have to feel any of those feelings. Mm-hmm. It's like such a huge coping mechanism. It's a defense mechanism that is very effective <laughs> when you're struggling. So when I hear those like, well, my kid's just so lazy and they're not trying. It's like, that is your kid telling you that they're really hurting and mm-hmm. it's easier for them to opt out than to try and fail. So what does a parent do in that situation? 
they're hearing this, they're waking up, they're seeing this in their kid. What do they do besides getting help? You know, like literally in the moment. And also this depends on your kid's age too. Like the way you're going to approach an elementary school aged kid is different than how you'd approach like a teenager. So if your kid is old enough, a lot of it is like just being willing to listen and say like, I see that you're struggling here. Like, can we talk about it? And as the grown up, literally just listening and not like trying to fill in the blanks or lead them down a path, like truly listening. Like when you're a kid, especially once they're teenagers, like they, granted, like they think they know everything and we feel like they know nothing. They do know <laughs> themselves pretty well. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like you're willing to listen and not judge, they will share with you what they think might work. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to share that with you if they think you're going to shut them down or if, if they think that you're just going to tell them that's a dumb idea or, you know, if you're going to reinforce, well, none of those other solutions work because you didn't try. Like when we start jumping in, it's like, well, then they shut down again and then we're right back where we started. So it's that really, really hard job as a parent to just sit there and listen. Mm-hmm. And stay well regulated and leave your agenda and your theories on why things are the way they are at the door and come in. There's this concept from mindfulness called beginner's mind. And I think it's really an important like posture to embody when you are trying to figure out what's going on for your kid. Yeah. Just being curious and being like, I'm I'm not going to try to solve this problem today. I'm just going to listen and like, think of it kind of like, you know, as scientific research, like put on your lab coat, You're just jotting down your observations. You're not trying to solve the problem right now. I'm just absorbing information so that I can make a hypothesis later. Mm -hmm. But right now, like, let me just absorb as much as I can from my child while they're willing to share with me. Because, you know, when we have teenagers, that's like a very tiny window of (laughs) willing to open up and share. So take advantage and just listen. And like, just as like a side note, a really great way to get your kids to talk is to have them doing some kind of activity with their hands. Kids Mm -hmm. will open up and share so much when they're doing some kind of like, whether that's like a hobby or like a craft or an art or like Lego or any of that, like Mm -hmm. their hands are doing and their mind is focused on that task. And like their thoughts and feelings will just like fall out. Oh, okay. Like didn't see that coming. But it's really beautiful because it lets their guard down mm-hmm. a little because yeah. they're focused on the task. But yeah, that's where I would start besides getting help is just being willing to listen and leaving the, the judgment at the door, assuming your kid is, you know, old enough for that conversation. Absolutely. You know, I'm, as we're having this conversation, one of my clients who was just recently diagnosed with ADHD herself as an adult and has two children who were also diagnosed with ADHD, these diagnoses came in in the last six months and they're really struggling. So she's been on my mind a lot as we are having this conversation, particularly because in this family's circle, don't really understand. Even, you know, the dad hasn't experienced it himself. He's working really hard to get there and understand how ADHD can be getting in the way of so much because these it's like you're describing them you know they don't want to go do anything things that they used to like to do they don't want to do anymore you know when they're pushed or pressured they get explosive it's 
textbook what's happening. And, and it's really hard, I think, for parents to see those things as ADHD, because we think ADHD is just not being able to pay attention in class, you know, and it's so much more. So many years now, all of those things have been described as behavior choices. And we're seeing the like the key word there is that people are choosing to be lazy and people are choosing. It's like, well, I mean, yes, I guess they did choose not to do the thing, but why are they choosing not to do that? Like people inherently, we just don't opt out of things on purpose, like without a reason. There's always an underlying reason when our kids start heading down that path. And I'm beginning to think like, we keep saying like, well, understand the difference between it being like a behavior choice and some kind of like problem that they're dealing with. And the more that I see it, the more I'm thinking like, I don't really know that any of them are like a behavioral choice. Like the more that I'm diving into like the world of ADHD is that I feel like most people like are doing that because they're struggling, because they're not sure what to do, because they feel shame, because they are feeling beat down by failure after failure. Is there anyone who's really just choosing to be like a turd human? I don't think so. I feel like pretty much everybody's got some underlying reason when we start heading down that path. So it's a matter of discovering like, is it ADHD or is it some other mental health issue? Or is it that, you know, the options are endless. But in finding those answers is where we start to find the solutions. Yeah. I think you hit on something there that's really important is that kids, just like grownups, are usually doing the best that they can. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to assume that most people at any given point in time are doing the best that they can. And on any given day, their best might be different than it was the day before, or even any given like hour in, in the school day, you know, from moment to moment, we're changing our hormonal, like and chemical fluctuations in our bodies are changing, our, you know, our energy levels are changing, our ability to focus or to regulate changes moment to moment through the day. And I think if we come from this place of just a really compassionate, graceful, gracious place of your kids really are doing the best that they can. And if this is what they're doing, we can assume that it's really the best they can right then in that moment. Maybe not the best that they could yesterday or will be able to do tomorrow, but right then it's it's really what they have capacity for right now. It's also important to mention too, of like especially when you're dealing with teenage girls, is that our hormones have a huge effect on our ADHD. So as you know, your daughters are going through puberty and starting their periods, that's a big big influence on ADHD symptoms. And that's when you'll see all these things start to pop up. And, and a lot of times parents are like, what's going on? Like <laughs> we chalk it up to being, you know, puberty and all that stuff, but we deal with this cycle every month. Like it just <laughs> keeps going every month. And when girls are hitting that age of puberty, it's like these symptoms that maybe they dealt with okay before, and they were able to get by with whatever they've learned all of a sudden you hit these big hormonal shifts like puberty or having, you know, uh, you know pregnancy and menopause, mm -hmm. like all of a sudden your ADHD symptoms are like blown up with, you know, gasoline. And, <laughs> um, and the same thing of like throughout your cycle, like you'll see those shifts in, you know, depending on where you are within the different phases, like your ADHD may be a lot more difficult to deal with, say like, the week before your cycle and during your cycle, because your body's doing a lot of hard work in mm -hmm. preparation for 
growing a whole human from nothing. <laughs> like we don't appreciate how much our bodies are doing at that time. So, you know, our hormones are literally changing every day. So it will make sense that, you know, as you're watching your, especially like a teenage daughter, you're like, okay, we were fine yesterday. What's happening today? Like hormones, <laughs> yeah. hormones are happening. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like a clear definitive, like this is how you are all the time. No, like we are women and we change throughout the month. So you will see those shifts happen. And then the second time you'll really see shifts happen for ADHD symptoms is when we go through a big life change. So when you see your kids switch from elementary to middle or middle to high school, high school to college, um, if they start like something very stressful, like maybe they start a highly competitive sport or like, like those big shifts in their lives, you're going through something stressful at home, maybe like divorce or, you know, somebody passes away you'll see a big shift in ADHD symptoms there too. So big shifts in life, those big stressors are going to affect you as well. So it's not like a linear graph of like, here are your symptoms the same every day. It's like, no, it should look like a roller coaster because life is hard and it's different every day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I just, you know, we're nearing the end of our time together. I kind of just want to circle back to something you said at the very beginning of, of our chat around we hear a lot about the negative parts mm-hmm. of ADHD. I kind of want to just end on like, what are some of the superpowers? What are some of the things that the positives and the benefit that you experience or that lots of your clients or that kids can experience by having these uniquely wired brains? I'm pretty sure that most of the human race's major breakthroughs came from somebody with ADHD. Like <laughs> there's no way somebody with a regular brain was like, guys, I'm going to take this kite and stand out in the lightning and see if we can get some electricity. What do you think? There's no way. You know, we are the movers and the shakers and the paradigm modifiers and the inventors and the innovators. How does that work? Like, what is the mechanism for that? You know, I'm not. Like putting you on the spot. Sorry. I think it's a combination of we just see things outside of the box. Like I can see the solution to a problem that no one else sees. Like I just look at things differently. And a lot of times that's not appreciated. Like, you know, when you think about what makes a great mom, you think about like the mom who always makes sure that the permission slips are turned in and always make sure that lunch is ready. And those like mundane lame things that, you know, yes, need to get done, but we don't often like, and I hate this word too, like judge motherhood. I'm like, who had the most fun was like, Hey, you have a question about volcanoes. Let's make a volcano. Like Mm -hmm. having that impulsivity sometimes really serves us well. And like, what happens if we just made a volcano today? Like what kind of amazing learning could we accomplish Mm -hmm. in that spontaneity? Maybe that means we have to make quesadillas for dinner again, because I ran out of time to cook and being willing to head down that rabbit hole and, you know, I feel like a lot of times we're good at sitting with our kids and be like, okay, you want to talk about dinosaurs for like two hours? All right. Like let's get on Google and see what we can find that like indulging that inner child is something that is really beautiful and, and underappreciated. So yes, having ADHD is extremely hard. It is so difficult in all the ways that it affects us and, you know, the struggles that you have across the board with relationships and work, but 
the different things to find the solution that no one else can come up with. Like that's where our creativity comes in and maybe society just doesn't appreciate those characteristics just yet, mm-hmm. but you know, we didn't put a man on the moon by thinking small. That's beautifully said, Patricia. Thank you so much for sharing this perspective with us. Where can folks go to learn more from you? So I have a podcast called Motherhood in ADHD, and you can find it on any uh, podcast platform that you like to have on your phone. And the website is the same too, Motherhood in ADHD. And there I teach classes for moms who have Oh, they're struggling with their day. So if you want to learn how to get your crap together and figure out like a daily routine that works or like how to keep up with your calendar and hopefully not be the person that, you know, skips your appointment for the fourth time this month. That's what I love helping moms do is figure out how to build a life that works for them. So I have daily planning for moms with ADHD and time management mastery for ADHD moms as well. And a really beautiful community. We meet every week for the moms to have a support group and just know that you're not alone. You're not the only one dealing with this. And it comes with all my classes. So you can come anytime and just be like, ah, I'm not the only one. So it's a really beautiful community. Beautiful, Patricia. Thank you so much for crafting that space. I think that more and more we are realizing that we need to not feel so alone. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm like, you have such a sweet demeanor. It's like, oh, I feel like I'm like on cloud nine right now. Oh, good. (laughs) I love getting to talk to colleagues and you have a lot of really important things to share. I think that um, it's important to hold these things to the light. So thanks for that opportunity. Thank you so much. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, That's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.